in terms of nutrition and how we can help the injury, you know, progress at a better rate, um, definitely thinking about anti-inflammatory foods. So really encouraging that athlete to include the fruits and vegetables, right? You want to get a nice array of vitamins and minerals, different antioxidants, um, because all of those things help our body heal. They help fight inflammation, which we have a lot of while we're injured. Um, healthy fats, so things like nuts, seeds, uh, nut butters, like peanut butter, almond butter, olive oil, <clears throat> those types of things. Um, avocado would be another good one. Um, those types of things are really good to include. They're still high calorie, so we don't want to go crazy because we're not burning as many calories while we're injured. But um, those kinds of foods are really helpful to our body when we are trying to fight that uh, additional inflammation. So from an injury standpoint, I, I always encourage athletes to include those foods frequently. This is Lauren Link, former Purdue soccer player and current director of sports nutrition at Purdue University and also author of From Athlete to Normal Human. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Head and Sales Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you Lauren Link, who is a former Purdue soccer player. She's the director of sports nutrition at Purdue University. And she's also the author of the book, From Athlete to Normal Human. And Lauren, I will say that I drank my full glass of water when I woke up this morning, like you recommended in your book. Um, so, can you, yeah, so can you start off by telling us uh, what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, I think obviously the biggest thing probably was just my own experience as an athlete. Uh, having lived through that transition myself, and it was just kind of a bizarre existence. Once you're finally done with your sport and you've played it most of your life, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you know, what, what do I do now? Um, so I lived through that. I watched teammates go through it. And then from a professional standpoint, started to see athletes come back um, as a dietitian. They're telling me, you know, I gained all this weight or I lost all this muscle. How do I eat now? How do I work out? So I kept seeing athletes struggle with this um, and there really weren't any resources out there. And so I thought I will just make one. And you definitely did a good job. I took a good look at it and it's really got it, it covers everything so can you tell us like what people can find in the book because it's not just nutrition it's a lot of other things in there as well yeah so obviously nutrition is the biggest piece since that's my expertise um and i try to cover you know how many calories will you need as a normal human um what should our plate look like how to grocery shop, how to pack a lunch, and why it's important to do some of those things, hydration as a normal human. Um, but like you mentioned, I, I try to cover the fitness side uh, quite a bit. So what does a workout look like for you now that you're not an athlete? And why is that important to still find something that works for you in the fitness realm? Um, talk about the social piece of it, which I think for a lot of people is a big one. And of course, I'm not a psychologist by any means. I don't try to be. Um, but just offering some advice in terms of how do you make friends in the real world? Um, I know a lot of people I've joked with former teammates, uh, it feels like dating a little bit when you're an adult and trying to make friends in this new workplace, wherever it might be. It's like, oh, do they like me? Do they want to hang out? You know, am I going to sound stupid? Uh, so talking just about that and what you can kind of expect and how to maybe form a new identity that's not linked to your sport. Um, Cause for a lot of people, that's another struggle uh, that they face is, well, if I'm not a soccer player, what am I? Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, in a nutshell, what, one could expect to find in the book. I think that was a good explanation. And, you know, the identity piece is something that I really struggle with. So uh, I think it's great that you, you touched upon that in your book. But I know today we're going to focus on the nutrition side of uh, transitioning to a life after sports. So can you define what normal human is uh, in terms of, you know, making the transition, like in, in terms of the title of your book? And I know I wasn't an, an athlete, quote unquote, in college, but all the athletes would call us regular people NARPs. I don't know <laughs> if that's what you, you use too, but uh, I didn't really like that, that name too much. <laughs> yeah, I can say I, I've been probably guilty of saying that uh, in college, but 
you just live such a different life, especially as a collegiate athlete. But, you know, people, I think this book is applicable to for even high school athletes transitioning out, you know, if it's been a big piece of your life up until that point, um, and even, you know, professional athletes, certainly, but um, in the collegiate setting, especially, you just live such a different existence. Um, you know, you are doing all the same stuff that your counterparts are doing, your non-athlete counterparts in terms of studying, you, you know, you're going to class, you're taking exams, but you're also participating in a sport that really boils down to almost the time commitments of a full-time job, sometimes more. Um, so you're also finding time to shove in, you know, two hours of practice and an hour of lifting, conditioning. And so you just have to make it all work. And so there's a huge time commitment and the physical component, you know, you're just kind of always tired and always sore. So to me, normal human really kind of comes down to, for, for me, especially, it was a big piece of the time that all of a sudden I had all this time. And I'm like, what do normal people do all day? Um, I used to joke, like, how could you not get good grades in college if you weren't playing a sport? Because I just feel like you have endless time. And of course, people work and, you know, do all sorts of things. But so to me, that was one of the biggest things that kind of set me up into that normal human stage of my life was like, oh my gosh, well, I don't have to go to practice this afternoon. So what am I going to do? And so I joke in the book, you know, of course, as an athlete, you are a normal human uh, in every other sense of the word. But now all of a sudden, you don't have that physical component in your life. Um, certainly not to that extent, you have way more time, probably. And so I think those are a couple of the biggest things to me. All right. And in your book, you definitely are very witty. There's some, there's some parts that made me chuckle when I was uh, reading through it. Uh, so the listeners out there, uh, if you buy the book, You'll definitely get a laugh or two, uh, maybe three, uh, in, in the book. Um, but what was what was some of the biggest hurdles that you experienced personally in your transition? Like when you had all this time, you know, like how what did you do to fill that time productively? I guess <laughs> right, productively being a, a keyword. Um, you know, for me, obviously, at some point, you hopefully get a job, right, and that takes up time. So that's that's an important com- component. I hope people get a job once they're done with college. For me, a couple of the biggest struggles, you know, the time piece was kind of weird and trying to find stuff to fill that, um, especially in the immediate, you know, couple months after transitioning out. Um, But a couple other things I struggled with, one would be just the physical aspect of it. You know, and I I mentioned in the book, I think people kind of fall into two groups. Some are like, oh, I'm going to work out all the time. I love working out, like nothing will change. And that's just probably not true. Um, as much as you think it might be, it's just really hard, right? There's, you start working, there's not enough time necessarily to get the same workout in. Um, other people, and I kind of fell into this boat right off the bat was, oh, you can't pay me to get in there and touch a weight again. You know, I have no interest. I've been doing fitness tests for the last 20 years of my life. I don't want to do it. So I think that's a hard balance of figuring out what the workouts were, are going to look like for you going forward. Um, and for me, that was a struggle of, okay, so I have no motivation. The coach isn't making me do it. Uh, so why would I, you know, get up and do it? Um, so that was a big struggle. And I think the other big thing for me was just the lack of teammates. All of a sudden, uh, you go from just being constantly surrounded by this group of best friends to all of a sudden not having that. And depending on where you end up, you know, if you move somewhere for a job, maybe, you know, zero people in that new location. Um, even if you have a couple friends nearby, it's just not the same as that team bonding and constant, uh, interaction that you had as part of a team. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's definitely seems like a probably would be a common struggle for many athletes. And my athletic career ended when I was in high school, but I took the route of like, oh my God, like if I can't play sports, like I want to at least like look like I play sports at school. So I was like working out like crazy. Um, but yeah, like you said, like if there's no like carrot out in front of you, it's like, why am I going to kill myself in the weight room or at the gym when like, I'm not preparing for a collegiate soccer season anymore. It's like, right and in your book, you kind of explain like trying to find like a new, um, what, what works for you now, you know, and kind of working around, uh, your injuries and stuff like that. Um, I know you, you struggle with some like knee problems, uh, throughout your career. Can you try and talk about that? Yeah. And actually I never tore, you know, my ACL. So I never had any big, uh, career ending or, you know, season ending type injuries, but just the nagging, uh, 
overuse type injuries were more what I struggled with. Um, and by the time my fifth season rolled around, because I redshirted one year, uh, I was feeling it big time. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how people even play professional sports because my body feels like it might fall apart. And so then now in my life and even the year or two right after playing soccer, uh, that was a piece that I struggled with was, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't go on a run for, you know, 30, 45 minutes every day because my knees kill. Uh, so that was a piece that I had to kind of figure out what worked. And so I know that I can't go run, especially on pavement, for instance, multiple times a week, but I try to include that here and there, but I do a lot of elliptical and things that kind of take that pressure off the knees. Um, I know some people in a similar situation who love biking, you know, that's become kind of their go-to because it takes a lot of the pressure off the knees and the pounding. Um, so yeah, it's something that people struggle with. Swimming is another good one that I know some teammates have really dove into, uh, to be punny. Um, and they found that to be, you know, a really great option for them that takes off the, the overuse type injuries that they felt from soccer in our case, um, they found that, oh my gosh, you know, I never got in a pool because I never had time, but I really love swimming. Um, so there's lots of different things people can do. Yeah, that's great advice. And I know for me, I found like CrossFit and mm -hmm. that was great, you know, for a time, but then I ended up like hurting myself because I was going like too hard, I guess. Uh, and now I've fallen in love with my bike. I go on my road bike all the time and that's something that like I could push myself and not really hurt myself other than like the cars that are driving on the road, uh, which <laughs> could probably be pretty dangerous. Um, so what do you enjoy most about being a normal human today? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say for me, I guess just being able to work out and not having the pressure around it. Um, and I, I will say I, I miss playing competitively. I do. Um, and soccer is a nice sport in that you can keep playing. So I play in some rec leagues and stuff like that. There's a lot of sports that people can literally never do again once they're done. And I've always kind of wondered <clears throat> how people handle that. Cause that would be weird to me to, you know, you can't just put your football pads on and go out there and hit somebody or, you know, there's some sports that you just can never play again. So, um, but I do enjoy that working out means something so different now than it did. Uh, and it's, you know, a little more leisurely. There's not the pressure of, Oh my gosh, if I don't go do this, I'm going to regret it when I have my fitness test in a month or whatever it might be. So that to me is kind of a nice change that you can work out uh, with a totally different purpose and without the pressure behind it. Low anxiety. Yes, situations. exactly. Yeah. I'm all for that too. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, cause I was a football guy. So like once I got hurt and I couldn't play anymore, like, well, that's pretty much it, dude. Like in flag football can only do so much. <laughs> and even right. that is sometimes a little too dangerous for me. Um, <laughs> So what, what made you or what led you to determine that uh, a dietetics um, degree was the right path for you? I was lucky that I got into that my freshman year and never changed majors. I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I would say one of the big things that pushed me to look at that as a career was actually just family health problems. Um, I had family who struggled with being overweight my whole life. Um, had family, you know, who had heart problems and things like that. And so as you get a little older in, in high school, seeing that and thinking, you know, we could do something about that, you know, um, and how weight can affect health. And so that kind of got me looking at it. And then once I was in the dietetics program uh, at Purdue, there was a double major that included the health and kinesiology side of things. And so that kind of brought together the sports and nutrition piece for me. And then of course my own experience as an athlete, just thinking, man, how could we affect our performance with what we're eating? Uh, and I wish myself and some teammates would have figured it out sooner. Uh, in hindsight, we probably could have had much better diets uh, throughout college, but that piece was really interesting to me. And so then finding sports nutrition, like, oh, wow, there's careers in this. Um, that was like dream job right there. And so lucky to have actually gotten myself in to what I consider my dream job. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah, that's great. So did any of your friends kind of struggle with uh, trying, were they unsure of their career path? Like, have you seen them kind of struggle or do you have any advice for those out there who might be, you know, not as fortunate as you to know what they want to do? 
right? Definitely, I've seen people struggle. And I think especially you see people, um, athletes, I think, especially because you're so focused on being an athlete while you're in college, uh, that you kind of put the school side on the back burner, whether that's through grades, or maybe just even a major like, well, you know, I'll just do this kind of broad major, um, you know, liberal arts and things like that, that don't have a direct career path tied to them. Um, And actually, my husband struggled with that. He got, you know, he's playing football. He just wanted to do that. He got a degree, but it didn't have a direct career path tied. And so he struggled with that a little bit. Um, And I think my advice would just be, you know, get experience once you're out there and kind of feel out, don't feel like you have to end up in your dream job by the time you're 25 or even 30. Um, I know people who've bounced around from different jobs and all those jobs that they've had have brought experience and something that they can um, pull from later on. And eventually you're going to find something that you really love doing. But I know people get frustrated of, oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm 28 and I don't have my dream job or I'm not even sure what I want to end up doing. And I don't think that there needs to be that pressure around it. You know, keep keep trying to figure out what you want to do, get the experience and then, and then try to move in that direction. Yeah, it's not like a realistic thing, I think, to think that you're going to have your dream job by this day or something. Right, um, right. So let's let's get into the nutrition piece of it. So, you know, how should nutrition look different from when you're an athlete to when you're a normal human in terms of, like, calorie intake, maybe the types of food you're eating? Um, you, you went into, like, the macronutrients in your book. Uh, can you kind of explain, like, a little – a little general plan uh, for the listeners uh, who might be going through this transition and what they should look out for? Absolutely. So I think calories is one of the big ones. Um, And not that I don't think people should feel like, oh, I need to count my calories and, you know, be super um, anal about it. But definitely that's a big piece because you've gone from burning thousands of calories a day, you know, probably three, 4,000 plus a day to, much lower, uh, substantially lower in most cases. So that has to be a piece of it. And I encourage athletes transitioning out to think about it from both angles in terms of, you know, yes, we're probably going to have to modify our diet to some degree to make up for that difference in calories that we're burning. But also, um, how can we keep our calorie expenditure, how many we're burning up, we have to keep it up to some degree, or else that gap is going to be really big and really hard to keep up with. So um, finding that activity plan that works for you is important. Um, So calories are a big one. Uh, In the book, I talk about, you mentioned macros, and it really, to me, kind of boils down to how can we balance our food groups. And I I don't like to use the term macros in in the sense of like, I need 60 grams of protein and, you know, 150 grams of carb. I don't encourage counting that either necessarily. Um, Just really looking at do I have plenty of fruits and vegetables on my plate? Um, you know, do I have a, a lean protein present? Do I have a whole grain carbohydrate present? And those are some of the things that I really encourage people to look for. And once you kind of have that feel of what you're aiming for calorically, what our plate should look like, um, and making sure that it includes a lot of nutrient dense foods and um, certainly foods that might not add up calorically as fast as others. Any like specific nutrient dense foods off the top of your head? I think, I mean, fruits and vegetables are a big one. I know it's, duh, the dietitian is going to say fruits and vegetables, but Americans generally don't eat enough and don't eat nearly enough. Um, They're pretty low calorie, so you can eat a lot of them for not a big caloric um, deficit, if you will. And they're, loaded with vitamins and minerals, antioxidants. I mean, they're so healthy. They're so under eaten that that would be the biggest one to me is like, can we get a fruit or a vegetable on our plate every meal? That would be awesome. I think that's a good goal. Yeah. And I think with the the vegetables, yeah, like you said, like you could eat like a, a ton of them, fill yourself up and then you're not eating like the other crap uh, that, you know, you are the alternatives. Uh, I guess my next question is, you know, you go from college where you're either eating at the dining hall or your team meal or whatever, and usually having like the food prepared for you to going to having to cook on your own. So what are your, what recommendations do you have, um, to kind of like learn how to cook for yourself, uh, as a normal human? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and I, 
especially now with collegiate athletics, um, and I don't know how much listeners would necessarily be aware, but a lot of the regulations around what we can provide athletes have changed. And so we can provide athletes with a lot more any anymore with these um, new regulations. And so it's totally plausible that an athlete, especially at a big D1 school, could go through their four or five years and really not have to learn how to cook um, and even how to grocery shop, which is kind of crazy to think about. But regardless of their situation in college, you're definitely right. It's kind of that you go to the grocery store, you put whatever sounds good in your cart, you go home and you make that frozen pizza or whatever it might be, the ramen noodles. Um, So learning to cook at least to some degree is important. Um, A few things that I highlight in the book would just be utilizing some resources. I, I don't think people should feel like, oh, you know, this is so overwhelming. I need to now meal plan and lay out 100 Tupperwares and put all my meals in them for the whole week and things like that. Um, Some of the stuff you see on Instagram that can be kind of (laughs) a little scary to people. Um, But using things like a crock pot, a crock pot costs 30 bucks at Target or Walmart or whatever. Um, It's really hard to mess up. You just throw the things in the pot, turn it on and you leave. Um, So do that at first, you know, pick things that are really easy. And I include some recipes in my book and a few of them are kind of humorous in that they're so easy. Um, but that's the point is like, we don't need a ton of ingredients. We don't need to be fancy. We just need to make a healthy meal. I suggest making more of it at once. Right. So if you can cook maybe even just twice a week, that's a good goal. Um, cook more than you'll eat just at that one meal. So you can have leftovers and, you know, things to bring for lunch, maybe whatever it might be. Um, but that is a lot more realistic than, oh my gosh, I need to go get all these crazy ingredients I've never heard of and I've never used and I need to learn how to be a fancy chef. Um, no, it can be as simple as throw it in the crock pot, throw it on a pan in the oven and turn on your oven, uh, for 30 minutes. And so I, I really encourage people to do the basics first and get good at some of that stuff. And the likelihood is that they'll kind of gain those skills as they go. Um, and, and maybe try something a little harder, you know, a couple months down the road and so forth. Right. Uh, so as the director of sports nutrition at Purdue, do you teach some of the athletes like how to grocery shop and how to cook and like, do you pr- provide that kind of resource or? We do. Um, and I would like to think that most or all of our athletes get at least some exposure to that. We do it by team uh, traditionally, but yeah, we'll take a team through the grocery store and talk about you know, what should our grocery shopping look like? What are things to look out for? Um, Making a list. Oh my gosh, please make a list before you go. It's (laughs) such a helpful thing. Um, And then, yeah, we do food demos. And similar to what I was just saying with the cooking as a normal human, focusing on like really simple recipes that we know they can go home and make um, that doesn't involve a ton of prep and so forth. Uh, So yeah, we, we do try to expose them to that as much as we can. Uh, We also try to have some resources online. Uh, For instance, I did a virtual grocery, uh, grocery tour online um, on YouTube. And so I think that's a nice resource to have to, okay, well, we don't have time to take your team this fall, but check this video out online um, and get some tips there. So we try to have resources in that sense too. I'll link that video up in the show notes. I, I watched that before uh, doing this interview. Uh, it's nice. very informative. <laughs> Always stay to the outside of the, of the grocery aisles or the perimeter. <laughs> That's um, right. So what are your thoughts on programs like uh, HelloFresh and Blue Apron? And do, do you recommend those for athletes? Cause it's kind of like foolproof in the fact that, you know, the recipe's there for you. It tells you exactly what to do. All the ingredients are there. It shows up at your doorstep. Uh, do you recommend something like that? Or I guess like, I'm just curious like what your opinion is. Yeah. I mean, I think they can be great. I would say I don't actively recommend them mostly just because of cost, because they can be pretty expensive. And I think you can do it yourself for much cheaper if you're motivated enough to do it and, you know, <clears throat> put the little bit of planning and stuff that might go into it prior. Um, but I don't think they're bad programs at all. And for some people, they can be really helpful. Um, so if they're willing to put the money into it, yeah, I mean, they can be awesome, healthy meals, they show up at your door, how to cook them. Um, and so I know some people have had a lot of success with those and really enjoy it. So if it fits into people's budgets, and and that's a more realistic approach for them, 
absolutely. I think they can be a nice resource. Um, but I would say it's nice if people can also develop those cooking skills and things early because over, you know, a span of five, 10 years, the cost will really add up when you could be doing it yourself for a lot cheaper. Right. I, I will be honest. Uh, the other, probably like three weeks ago, I started doing HelloFresh just because a friend gave me like a free box or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is like more expensive than you would if you just like went to the grocery store and bought all those things. Right. But what I will say is like, it does kind of teach you how to cook if you don't know how to cook. Like it tells you like, kind of teaches you like what ingredients go well with each other, how long, like what heat needs to be on for cooking certain things. And and nice. yeah, so in that sense, I feel like it's somewhat beneficial, but for the short, short term, not, not the long term. Right. Um, do you notice any sports in particular that struggle the most with nutrition, like after their sport is over in terms of like calorie intake and the types of food? Like, are, are there any sports that are like, I don't know, generally lead to bad outcomes? I hate to put a generalization because I've seen struggles across all sports that I've worked with. But if I had to pick, you know, one in particular that stands out would be football. Um, Especially the guys who've had to keep their weight up for so long. So you're talking about your linemen, right. Who've been trying to weigh almost 300 or more pounds for the last however many years. And so it can be really difficult for them. Now we've, you know, held our weight. Okay. Yeah. I've been 310 for the last four years, which was great, but now I have to get down because <laughs> I don't realistically want to stay at this weight. Um, and so I, I do see guys struggle with that a lot in terms of, okay, well, how, how do I lose this much weight? And sometimes you're talking 50, 60 plus pounds that these guys are, are realistically trying to lose. So, uh, that can be daunting <clears throat> on the, on the flip side. I see female sports struggle. Um, I think muscle loss is hard for, for all athletes, but especially females, um, because all of a sudden, you know, you're not lifting the weights like you used to most likely. And so even if your weight isn't changing, your body is changing. Um, and so I was just telling somebody the other day, I lost two pant sizes when I quit playing soccer and it wasn't that I was losing so much weight, but I was just losing muscle in my legs. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And it seems like, Ooh, that should be exciting. Right. Like, you know, um, but at some point it was kind of like, Oh, I don't like this. You know, I've always had muscular legs. And so trying to figure out what does that look like for me? And I, I realized pretty quick, I would need to do some kind of lifting routine or something. Um, so I, again, that was kind of an all over the place answer, but definitely all athletes struggle with it. But, um, especially if they've had to manipulate their weight while they were in college, whether it was keeping it up or keeping it down, I think that adds a layer of, struggle um to the equation when they're done so how do you approach i guess like teaching these uh, like offensive linemen who are trying to weigh 300 pounds like in their transition like what what's like your guidance in you know helping them pick the right foods and the right amount of food and kind of weaning them off of that you know enormous calorie intake that they were so used to right i think one big thing is just talking them through, it's not going to be a quick fix. You know, you don't just lose 50 pounds in the first month that you're out, nor would we want to, right? Because that would probably not lead to ideal body composition for them. And so um, just talking to them about, you know, okay, what's a realistic weight loss per week? You know, we really encourage one to two pounds a week at most of weight loss, Um, anything faster than that. And we might be a little concerned. Um, So just talking to them through that process of, okay, what kind of timeline are we looking at? And then I think the physical aspect is big. I mean, definitely it's going to be hard for them to gauge that caloric deficit that they might need. Um, So that's an important talking piece. But I think also just walking them through, okay, what's going to help, you know, doing the cardio, jumping on the bike or the elliptical or treadmill or whatever it might be, um, that's going to really help. So we'll weightlifting, you know, so that you do maintain that muscle mass, um, so it's a lot of the same points that I think I would talk with any athlete about, but I think the the rate at which they approach it is important with that population. Right. So with that kind of athlete, you're almost talking like a year of time where you're trying to lose that weight. Yeah. I mean, easily you could be talking six months to a year or more, depending on what kind of weight they're trying to lose. Right. So patience. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
so and then going back to the mental piece, you know, you said like you you didn't really like losing some of the muscle in your legs, and it's probably because you you worked hard for that, and now you like see it kind of going away. So, you know, w- what advice do you have for athletes who are kind of feeling that way? And I know like for myself, like once I hurt myself in CrossFit. I mean, I lost like 20 pounds like in the last year or so just because like I'm just not lifting anymore. So, and it, yeah, it sucks when you like look in the mirror, you're like, oh, what the hell happened to me? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it is. It's bizarre. And it's funny, especially I think again with a female population. I think initially a lot of women are like, oh, I don't want all this muscle. You know, I think that's a pretty common thought. And I see actually female collegiate athletes all the time who hate the fact that they're gaining so much muscle while they're in college. Um, But then when you start losing it, it's kind of that reality of, oh, well, I don't really like this either. Um, So I think I think just talking to people about why weightlifting is still important um, and that it doesn't have to be the same approach that they had when they were an athlete. You know, you don't have to load up the bar and get under a couple hundred pounds um, to see results. And so it might be a lot more body weight type exercises, you know, just lower weight in general, higher reps. Um, So helping athletes figure out what that looks like for them and understanding that it doesn't have to be the same and you can still have really good results and be happy with, you know, how you look and feel um, with a much different program. But it has to has to be there in some capacity or else you're probably not going to be happy with the results. Right. Um, what role does muscle play in body, I guess, in maintaining body composition and like the body composition you want, not, you know, putting on, you know, the extra pounds and not the good way when you, when you transition to life after sports. Yeah, it plays a big role. Um, muscle itself increases your metabolism. So if you have a higher muscle mass, it tends to increase metabolism just because muscle burns more calories than fat uh, in a resting state. So I think that kind of just extrapolates the problem for athletes when they retire, if they do lose that muscle mass is okay, well, now we've lost this muscle mass, we've decreased our metabolic rate further in this time frame where we're still trying to figure out how many calories we need um, to go with our decreased activity level. And so it kind of just compounds the problem sometimes and people don't necessarily realize that. Um, but it is a big factor in terms of your metabolism uh, and your resting metabolic rate. All right. Uh, yeah, that's, I've, I've heard that. I know like the resting metabolic rate, like people, listening out there like you're burning calories just sitting around and i was like the more muscle you have uh lauren's saying the more calories you're going to burn just from like doing nothing so obviously (laughs) that's working in your favor um do you have different nutrition recommendations for injured athletes i have a lot of injured athletes uh who visit the podcast um because they're working themselves back to uh their sport or they're transitioning to a life after sports because it was career ending injury uh, so what recommendations do you have nutritionally for the, for those athletes? Yeah. So when it comes to an injury, obviously it's an aspect that you never want to deal with as an athlete, but most of us have to at some point. Um, and one big piece is just the calorie level again, right? It's going to decrease because we're not doing as much and we can't do as much. It's not that we don't want to, um, but usually you're pretty limited uh, <clears throat> by the restrictions that your injury has placed on you. So figuring out, okay, I need to decrease my calorie level as much as you can still stay active. I definitely recommend, and you know, you want your athletic trainer overseeing that, um, in terms of what you're able to do without injuring yourself. But, um, in terms of nutrition and how we can help the injury, you know, progress at a better rate, um, definitely thinking about anti-inflammatory foods, So really encouraging that athlete to include the fruits and vegetables, right? You want to get a nice array of vitamins and minerals, different antioxidants, um, because all of those things help our body heal. They help fight inflammation, which we have a lot of while we're injured. Um, Healthy fats. So things like nuts, seeds, uh, nut butters, like peanut butter, almond butter, 
olive oil, <clears throat> those types of things. Um, avocado would be another good one. Um, those types of things are really good to include. They're still high calorie. So we don't want to go crazy because we're not burning as many calories while we're injured. But um, those kinds of foods are really helpful to our body when we are trying to fight that uh, additional inflammation. So from an injury standpoint, I, I always encourage athletes to include those foods frequently. Um, make sure they're hydrating. Well, you just want to give your body the best chance it can to recover quickly. Uh, sleep is another huge part of it. Our body does a lot of its healing and recovery while we're at rest. So if you're out, you know, till the wee hours of the night, um, whether that be at the bar or studying or whatever, um, you're just making it that much harder on your body to recover. So rest, hydrate, you know, lots of healthy foods. I know it seems kind of duh, but, uh, those are some of the big nutritional recommendations, um, that I always provide our injured athletes. And I would add on to that from an inflammatory standpoint, you know, the other way there are foods that cause inflammation. So alcohol causes inflammation, um, high fat foods, high, you know, greasy fried foods, things like that. So, uh, the more we can limit those, especially while we're injured, the better chance we're giving our body to heal. All right. I'm, I'm curious about like inflammation and what that is. Like, obviously if you hurt your knee and your knee is swollen, like that's inflammation. But when you eat things, like you don't always like see, like you don't break out in hives and say, Oh yeah, that's like the inflammation from eating that cheeseburger. So like, can you explain like the role of inflammation, like what that looks like in your body and how, like, yeah, like how it does affect the healing process? I can certainly try. You're pulling on my uh, metabolism and, you know, biochem um, from college. But I mean, inflammation is really interesting. And there's been a lot of research coming out the last couple of years about we need it. You know, we need inflammation to a degree. And so um, it's kind of calling into question some of the protocols that we've had for decades at this point of, you know, icing an injury taking an anti-inflammatory right after an injury, because to some degree we need inflammation. Um, and so at a cellular level, like you mentioned, you can't always see it. It's not like you eat some French fries and you're like, Ooh, my, I feel inflamed now, but at a cellular level, there is inflammation going on. And so it's not, it's not something that you can see, but it's putting stress on, you know, your body at a cellular level. And so if you do these things over a long span of time, it's kind of easy to see how that repeated stress on your body, um, whether it be at a cellular level or, um, you know, more um, broad level that adds up. So I don't know if that totally answered your question, but um, no, I thought that was good. <laughs> interesting. An interesting piece um, because we, we need inflammation, but we also try to manage it. And from a chronic standpoint, we certainly don't want to put that added stress uh, on our bodies. Okay. And I know you, you mentioned earlier that you were able to stay pretty injury free throughout your career, other than some nagging knee pain issues. Uh, so what was your approach to staying healthy? Was it like how you played the game? Was it what you put in your body for fuel? Was it how you trained? You know, that's a good question. I think honestly, probably partly just luck. I mean, there's only so much you can do to avoid, you know, certain types of injury. Um, I'd like to think definitely part of it was, you know, that I did a good job hydrating, um, that I was always fueling and I didn't go into a practice not having eaten all day. Right. Um, some of these things can definitely put you at a disadvantage. Just the, again, like the alcohol piece, we're always encouraging our athletes, you know, there's going to be a time where you can go out to a party and stuff with your friends, but in season or, you know, right before a, a practice and a game, like, it, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. That puts an extra toll on your body and puts you at risk for some of those things like injury. Um, so I'd like to think definitely the way I approached, you know, training and games helped. But like I said, I think probably a little bit was luck. And uh, I appreciate that the karma gods up there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it definitely is a, a luck, a luck thing, but sometimes you make your own luck. So like you said, if you put yourself in a situation uh, of healing, uh, I think that you, you probably helped yourself out. You definitely didn't hurt yourself. Right. Um, in the world of uh, doc Netflix documentaries and, uh, meets the devil and everything that you put in your body is going to kill you. 
I guess, like, what are your thoughts to athletes who maybe watch these documentaries and are trying to make their nutritional choices based off of this? Oh, man. Stop is my main recommendation. Um, this is a hot topic because of what the health recently. I can't tell you how many new vegans I've had walk through my doors the last few months from that documentary. Um, and what I've what I've told our athletes who've asked about that one in particular, but I would say it about any documentary is that documentary is designed to provoke emotion, usually fear, um, sometimes anger or, you know, empathy towards the animals or whatever. So um, just remembering that it's very one-sided in my opinion, a lot of them, especially, you know, the couple recently have really uh, distorted the science have used a lot of things that are not truthful. Um, and that's not to say there's not some truth behind these things, right? Of course, we know there are really bad and disturbing farming practices out there. And whether that be agriculture, livestock, etc, there are definitely people doing it wrong. But they're just showing you that glimpse of that, right? And so again, I, I keep using what the health because that's the recent one. But I've told some of our athletes, you know, everyone who made that video is a vegan. Well, of course they have an agenda, you know, and they're, they're trying to make you feel that way. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is just remembering, okay, who's making this documentary? What's their agenda? Um, and the whole purpose of it is to provoke, you know, strong emotion from people. Um, so do your research, talk to a professional, um, you know, seek out a dietitian and, that would be my biggest advice, but definitely I, I hate when I hear people making these big, you know, life altering diet changes based on the most recent um, film. And especially because depending on how you approach it, if you don't approach it correctly, you can really put yourself at risk. So if you just decide to be a vegan and you don't really understand what that means and what nutrients you are probably now missing out on, that's a problem. Right. So by all means, if you want to be vegan, I will help you as a dietitian do that. But we would do it correctly. You know, we would look at what macro or micronutrients we might be missing. We would adjust for that. Um, so talk to a professional and uh, and try just not to watch them. That, that would be my recommendation. <laughs> good, good advice. Um, another thing in your book that I thought was interesting is that athletes should be concerned about their sodium intakes and – I mean, I put salt on like everything and like, I still love Gatorade, even though like I don't, you know, work out nearly as much as I used to. So I guess like, why should athletes be concerned, uh, so concerned about their sodium intake? Yeah, it's, it's funny because as an athlete, we're not worried about sodium at all. Um, and you know, most dietitians who aren't in sports nutrition are, you know, probably every day telling someone like we need less sodium, less sodium, because as Americans, we eat a ton of it. Um, sports nutrition is a unique area of dietetics in that our athletes are sweating a lot. Um, they're losing a lot of sodium through their sweat. And so we actually have a lot of athletes where we're actively trying to include more sodium, you know, okay, drink Gatorade, let's add electrolytes to your Gatorade? Can you salt your food more? Let's eat salty snacks like pretzels and crackers and whatever. Um, so most dietitians don't have that kind of problem that we have. Um, but we are encouraging our athletes a lot to include more sodium. So then it's kind of a weird switch that we do once we're not an athlete anymore, because sodium is a problem. I mean, it's in a lot of the foods that we eat, we tend to eat you know, well over double, triple the recommended amounts as Americans. Um, so if we do that chronically, that's when you are going to find yourself in a um, high blood pressure situation, which can lead to lots of other problems. So we definitely try to make sure that athletes realize, you know, this is to put back what we're losing in our sweat. But as a normal human, we have to now kind of adjust for that. Um, and that can be a tricky thing when you've been doing it for the last four or five plus years um, to just suddenly turn that off. Um, so I think that's definitely an important talking point. Okay. Uh, yeah, I found that really interesting uh, in your book. Uh, so how important is goal setting uh, in your transition to normal human life? Uh, and how did you approach that? I think it's important. I mean, it depends on you and what works for you. 
I think it's a good thing to have, you know, definitely some goals laid out for yourself. And, and we actually, you know, work with our athletes to set goals in a lot of different areas. Okay. What is your goal nutritionally? Do you have a weight goal? Are we trying to change our weight now that we're done playing a sport? Um, and what does that goal look like? Maybe our goal, um, around nutrition is just to do the meal planning right? Or go to the grocery store once a week. But I think having goals is important um, in any setting, you know, um, what are your professional goals? What are your financial goals? I mean, gosh, there's all kinds of things that you can do. But I think the important piece is just understanding that you're not going to meet all of them and that they can change at any point. So maybe that was your goal a year ago. And that was realistic at that point. But now the situation has changed. And so we need to kind of readjust our goals. So I think it's a good practice to have for anybody, um, especially probably in an athlete population, just because they have been very goal and outcome driven their whole lives. Um, so I think it can be a nice way to kind of transition and, and focus on goals in other areas of their lives. But definitely, you hate to have people just think that, oh, well, I didn't meet that. So I failed. Um, and definitely that could be an athlete mentality. Um, so you have to work with them on understanding that no things change. You can adjust as needed and go from there. All right. Have you noticed the, that athlete mentality pop up at all for, for your own, from like, from your own experience that, that athlete mentality that kind of like works against you in your transition to life after sports? Yeah, there's probably instances where it works for you and against you. You know, for me, the time thing was maybe an athlete mentality part that I struggled with of like, I'm not very good at just sitting around um, because I was always doing something because you had to always be doing something to get it all in. Um, so I really struggled with like just sitting around and not feeling like I was working towards something. Um, so I like I said, I think it's a good and a bad thing. If, double-edged sword, if you will, um, because there probably is some times where you need to just kind of chill out and enjoy that, <laughs> enjoy normal humanhood. But I think it's also, you know, professionally and whatever, a good driving force to say, okay, you know, I accomplished that goal. What else can I work towards? What can I do? Um, so that's, I guess, a personal example. But I think the athlete mentality probably plays into a lot of different scenarios for different people. Yeah. I remember in, in your book, one point in particular you said you were on a run and you say your knees started hurting you and instead of like pushing through like you normally would have tried to you're like you know what I don't need to do this anymore so right it's a great moment a great realization of like huh, yeah we can stop yeah we that, can walk as much as we want that's a mentality I tried to uh promote on on the podcast a lot because that has done me in multiple times with trying to push <laughs> through things I shouldn't have um, right as we start to wrap up the interview here, uh, one of my last questions is uh, what advice do you have for athletes who go from their sport to a cubicle and sit at a desk all day? Yeah, that's one of the biggest pieces um, that people just kind of don't plan for of like, how much time am I really going to be sitting? And that was time that I used to be spending walking to class and back, you know, training, conditioning, whatever. Um, I think as much as you can, try to be active. Um, you know, you can only do so much because you have to do your job and that will involve much more sitting, especially if you're in, you know, a desk type job, a cubicle. Um, but little things like, can you use the restroom on another floor or the one far away? You know, it takes an extra 30 seconds or minute of that walk to go to the restroom. But if you're hydrating, like you should be, um, after reading my book and you have to pee every hour, maybe walk a little bit further and, you know, get those extra steps in or get a flight of stairs and things like that can add up. Um, you know, probably things you've heard, but parking on the far side of the parking lot, that adds a little bit of extra activity. Um, even just when you can like take a five minute break, get up and, you know, walk around. Um, I always, too, I think with the athlete mentality, this ties in perfect. I think people feel like it has to be like a workout. Like I have to go to the gym. And I have to be there an hour or two or more. And so sometimes that negates them from going at all. It's like, well, I don't have an hour and a half to work out. So I, I just won't. Um, and so getting people to understand that as a normal human, you can work out for 15 minutes. I mean, it's not ideal maybe, but as little as 10 or 15 minutes of something can add up. And maybe you do that a couple times or three times a day. And look at that. All of a sudden we've done 45 minutes of something. So just trying to figure out where you can fit stuff in um, and still be active, but not feel like you have to necessarily, 
you know, go to the gym and get sweaty for an hour and a half, it can look a lot different. Okay. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great advice. And I, I'm definitely in that boat now where like, if I have 20 minutes, I'll try to get like a 20 minute workout in just like a little circuit, just keep doing it like multiple times through until the 20 minutes is up. Right. Um, but, but we were on the topic of, of water bot or water intake. Do you have like, there's a million different water bottles out there. Like, do you have a, a swell bottle, the hydro flask? Like what, what, what water bottle do you use, uh, in trying to motivate yourself to drink water? Cause sometimes it could be like, it's, it's like work to drink as much water as you need to, uh, in a day. I personally have a swell bottle. Um, I just like the design, so I, I don't have any strong reason why I use that versus another one. But um, I will say a fun fact is that I have not drank a bottled water all year in 2017. That was my resolution this year was to not drink a bottled water. Um, so trying to save the planet one bottled water at a time. But it's kind of crazy once you actually think about how many you really drink when you didn't really need to. I could have filled up my bottle, but I just grabbed that because it was convenient. So it's been kind of eye-opening for me. Um, and I think once you get in the habit of having a water bottle, refillable um, of any variety, once you get in the habit and you do put that extra 15 seconds into it that it takes to fill it up, um, now I just always think about it. If we're going on a road trip, I got to grab my water bottle. I got to fill it up. Um, if I'm going on you know, running errands somewhere fill up my water bottle um, so that I don't feel like I need to stop and get something somewhere else. So um, I definitely encourage it. And I think people can feel really, you know, it's a daunting task to get in as much water as you need. But I think as long as at least start with the habit of just having it on you. Um, and if you're thirsty, you will drink it uh, if it's right there and it's convenient. So I think that's the first step. Um, don't necessarily feel like you need to drink, you know, a gallon a day. Um, but if you're drinking you know good choice like water and it's right there and it's convenient that's definitely a, a good step in the right direction yeah i think convenience is definitely key i know like when i'm sitting at my desk like i could go all day without drinking anything if i didn't have a water bottle sitting right there so but when i have one there right. i'm drinking out of it all day so yeah the convenience exactly. is key um so where can people find you on social media and, and online and, and buy your book i'm on twitter Instagram and Facebook, a link to nutrition. And my book is available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. So I would say search it on any of those. That's also linked to my social media. Um, so yeah. Uh, it, the book is also on the Heads and Tails bookstore, uh, which will obviously help uh, Lauren if you, you make the purchase there and it'll also help me because I'm an Amazon affiliate so I get a little uh, commission so you can help support the podcast that way uh, if you if you purchase it there and that's uh, headsandtails.org backslash bookstore. Lauren, thank you very much for coming on and sharing all your knowledge and for writing that book to act as a, a roadmap to success for a, a successful transition and I wish that I had this book you know when I was transitioning to a life after sports and to at least know that like I'm not alone you know like <laughs> I'm not the only one who feels this way. So uh, right. I, I commend you on, on, on writing that. And I, I really enjoyed it. So I hope, I hope the listeners out there will, will do the same. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Anytime.